You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and artists from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. Welcome back, everybody. Man, many, many things have changed since we last spoke in early February. And in many ways, it feels like there was a time before, and now this is the time after. Does it seem like we've all lived about two lifetimes in the last two weeks? Well, in the time before, on March 5th, I was able to meet up with one of the leading lights of the Americana movement, the Wood Brothers, right before the world as we knew it shut down and all these little musical roadshows that we put on ended indefinitely. But of course, we couldn't quite comprehend what was to come. And I'm so glad that Oliver and Chris Wood joined me by the thrumming ice maker in that time before in the front bar of the Regent Theater downtown LA. They were here promoting their dirty, down-home, bluesy, basher masterwork of a new record, Kingdom in My Mind. And I just listened to it again before I did this, and man, there's something about that song, Little Bit Sweet, that tells their whole story in one tiny musical microcosm. It's about going home to your roots, taking the bitter with the sweet, seeing the whole picture of your life in the way that maybe only a pandemic can force us to. The rottenness of relationship fallouts, the dashed hopes of failed youthful ambition, and the sweet glory of renewed brotherhood. And it's that last sweetness that has brought this trio, joined by Jana Ricks on drums and keys, to some of the biggest venues across the world, from Red Rocks to Bonnaroo and back. And unlike many successful sibling groups, Oliver and Chris did not begin their musical journeys in sync at all. They spent hard years forging their own paths apart. Oliver with his gravelly conspiratorial voice and his long locks, playing hard years in bars in the South and the West, while the younger Chris made a name for himself playing bass in the pioneering futuristic pop jazz tricksters Medeski, Martin, and Wood out East for many, many years. But something happened over a decade ago. They went back home to Colorado, and they sat down and played with their dad in their old house. Oliver on guitar, Chris on his ever-dancing bass. And maybe something made them stop and realize what was always right in front of them the whole time. A lost and now found kindred spirit who could lift those songs from bitter to sweet with one stroke. And maybe they didn't know it then, but a seed was planted. And from the ground up, they rebuilt their bond as brothers. And the result has been a string of acclaimed, incredible albums that seem like they've always been there somehow. Starting in 2006 with Ways Not to Lose, Going to Loaded, Up Above My Head, Smoke Ring, Halo, The Muse, Paradise, One Drop of Truth, and now Kingdom in My Mind, along with amazing live records, the Wood Brothers have been putting out work of stellar quality that in my mind could exist at any point in rock and roll history. And yet there's something about the new record that's different from the rest. It makes me nostalgic for a time that maybe has never existed yet. What will they call now? our musical era. The COVID-19 renaissance? The Roaring Twenties Part Two? You know, speaking of two ladies who were actually around in the Roaring Twenties, I've been calling my two grandmas more and more since this whole shutdown happened. And if you had the thought that maybe this isn't serious, think about all the grandmas that are being taken out by this virus. Our grandmas are walking history books. They're the only ones who can tell me what seeing Artie Shaw and Benny Goodman rising up through the floor at those big band shows, what that was really like. I know pining for the way things used to be is a trap, but have you ever had a heart-deep nostalgia for the very recent past? 
not a midnight in Paris style premonition that you were meant to be in Hearst Castle as a light in the Gilded Era, not the feeling that you were meant for the brassy big band bandstands of the 30s or the muddy dance pits of Woodstock or Watkins Glen or Altamont in the free love, break the system, fight the man before they assassinate you late 1960s, or maybe this week, shut inside your room in quarantine, you pine for the early 1990s, my childhood, where Nirvana was breaking the speakers and the bulls were winning every year and the economy was humming and no big wars were coming and the surplus was going through the roof and not even the slightest, tiniest thought was going through your brain that something really big could stop this American machine from chugging along into the new century. No, I'm not talking about all that. I'm talking about missing how it was a month ago when we could walk to a cafe with a friend and you'd shake hands with a stranger with no suspicion at all. A month ago, we're at the Fillmore Auditorium in San Francisco. 500 sweaty, glorious people were crammed together, and it felt okay and beautiful and awesome. But things change quick. Indeed, moments before I started talking to Chris and Oliver Wood for this podcast, I saw their tour manager take them aside and tell them that their show in Kirkland, Washington, just outside Seattle, was now canceled. This was a room that I had played just about a year before. Such a joyous musical community and that community has been the hardest hit of all. I send this to you now from a citywide lockdown, and yet it doesn't seem like there is danger all around us at all. Listen, the birds are chirping, the lawns are being mowed, the girls next door are running back and forth in the driveway with their new dog, buses are hissing by in the corner, and look, the sun is shining. The air is cleaner than it's ever been here in LA. I could see the shimmering crown of Catalina Island from a mountain hike across the city. I've never seen that. And in a way, for all us hard touring bands out there, this is a time to sit back and reflect. Did I make the right choice in choosing this life? All of our club dates and theater dates and festival dates, they're all canceled going into June. In that carefree time before, bands like mine and the Wood Brothers, our whole lives were engineered around getting strangers into one small room and asking them to come closer, closer. I look at the videos, I look at the pictures, and I see us all there crushed together as new friends. Sticky hands high-fiving, holding up signed purple vinyl, lipstick kisses marking our grateful faces. But if there's one thing that transcends the time before and the time now, it's the music, of course, the songs. For 38 minutes and 10 seconds of bliss, you can step into the kingdom of the Wood Brothers mind. Step out of this darkness. All you have to do is press play. And now, of course, folks ask me, how can we support the music that we love during this crazy time when you're not legally allowed to work? Well, you can go to DustBowlRevival.com. That's my band. You can give on Venmo at DustBowlRevival. You can give on PayPal, DustBowlRevival at gmail.com. You can get some new music, some t-shirts, a cool poster. Go to our merch site. There's a really cool tip jar option also if you want to help support us during these many lonely months ahead. And if you want to support an amazing organization that is supporting many musicians like me who are out of work, go to musiccares.org. You can contribute to their COVID-19 relief fund. And you know what, guys? If we all stick together and support each other, we're going to come out of this better and stronger than ever. But enough babbling from me. I'm so glad you're with us after a long hiatus. There's some really cool episodes coming. And we're going to be going every other week, every other Wednesday, bringing you new episodes with amazing artists from around the world. But first up, and without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the Wood Brothers.
Introduce yourselves to the radio audience. Uh, well, we're the Wood Brothers. My name's Oliver Wood. My name's Chris Wood. Glad to catch you before your show tonight at the Regent downtown LA. How has the new record been going on this run? How have people been embracing it? Uh, so far, so good. Um, I feel like people respond well to the songs when we play them live, and we're having fun playing them live. And, uh, you know, people are buying some vinyl, which is always uplifting. You guys kind of grew up listening to your dad's vinyl in Colorado, right? Yes, indeed. We're listening to our dad's vinyl and our dad picking and singing his guitar, his old pre-war Martin guitar. So, Was he a, a professional singer-songwriter or was it more for fun? Um, semi-pro, right? He... he he could have gone pro, I think, and he did make albums and had an, a record deal when he was in college, but he went the, um, the educational route and became a college biology professor. I mean... But he played a lot of gigs, and he knows hundreds of songs, so... Has he ever put biology textbook material into his songs? Oh, he, he sings a mean uh, element song by Tom Lehrer. Yeah, the <laughs> that song, song. It's basically just the lyrics is the periodic table as of the 1960s. I just discovered that song, I think, because it was in a episode of Better Call Saul, the uh, Breaking yes. Bad prequel. And one of the guys who is sort of concocting the new meth strain right. is singing that tune. Singing so, uh, that song. Yeah. That's good. That's awesome. Do you remember the first record that each of you heard that kind of switched on your brain if I remember a few I, I mean for me it was just because of what Oliver was getting into yeah uh, I'm a little bit older I'm four years old yeah so he was out buying vinyl before yeah. I was out there hitting the music stores so. but I remember with with our dad's stuff uh, I remember a Lightning Hopkins record that was huge mm-hmm. I remember it's funny a visual I have of is of um, I never really liked it at first was uh, Blood on the Tracks. Oh, yeah. Dylan, I remember just always skipping past that. looks weird. And skipping past it and looking right. for more blues stuff, like Jimmy Reed, Lightning Hopkins, Josh White. Yeah, there was like you had the um, Muddy Waters live record. Muddy Waters. So, that Jimmy Reed record was a huge influence on me. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Just the sounds. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There's something about it. Just, uh, just the attitude and the sounds yeah. of the instruments and the attitude of the singing and yeah and but there was Beatles and there was uh you know then we started going to buy Zeppelin and Hendrix and yeah things like 60s that 60s rock but, uh, and but I feel like when we started playing music or being interested in playing music like Lightning Hopkins and Jimmy Reed was something that we could figure out you know mm. that was part of it and of course it was amazing visceral sounds but it was like oh I think I could 
figure out those yeah. notes, you know. That's when some of the punk stuff yeah. too. You know, yeah. I remember trying to figure out some Clash and mm-hmm. and, uh, and the totally. police came along and I was like, ooh, that's more complicated. Yeah, that's interesting. The pretenders. I think like blues for me too. Growing up in Chicago, felt like something that even like a random white kid who can play three strings at a time, you know, yeah. at a time, like you could get into those songs yeah. and you could live in them and, yeah. and be like, oh, this sounds like I'm doing it. Yeah. Whereas like some of the jazz and stuff that I worshipped, you know, like I, there's no way I was going to ever that was keep a little up less, with uh, the realistic. bebop strains of yeah. Dizzy Gillespie, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I could be like, oh, this form yeah. is something that I can wrap my head around. Yeah, I can butcher some. That's what's hooker. interesting about the blues, I think, is because uh, you can play the correct notes, but it ain't right yet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so the thing that makes it sound right is a little more mysterious when it comes to the blues. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Sound, they phrasing. That later. You know, yeah. it, you know, we're in jazz. You, maybe you can cop a bebop lick and sound proficient, right. but that doesn't really work the same in blues. On the... Uh, New record, you know, there's two back-to-back tracks, Jitterbug Love and A Dream is a Dream, that feel like you're harkening back to some of that Lightning Hopkins and, mm. and Slide Blues. Yeah, it's yeah. very rustic, very down-home, but also has this much broader, mystical yeah. lyric strain in it, you know? And, and you know, Jitterbug Love has the kingdom in my mind, you know, the title... Yeah, yeah. Element to it. Yeah, and it features not only slide guitar, but Chris playing slide on his bass, on his yeah, Hoffner bass. Slide bass on both of those songs. It's slide Hoffner bass. Yeah. I don't think many people are doing that. I, don't, I haven't seen it. I don't know <laughs> why. It's hidden in the scriptures, so clear in the songs of the bird. When I stumble on the truth, I forget everything I've learned. Start trying that out. Same way, I, all the weird stuff I do on the instrument. You just try stuff, experiment. It's just like uh, the way you prepare a piano to get weird sounds to come out of it. Uh, exploring the different sounds. When you're doing, you know, the more experimental jazz stuff in Medeski, Martin and Wood, were you trying stuff early on? Oh like yeah, that? absolutely. I mean, that was the whole scene we were in, in, in the downtown sort of new music scene in New York City. Right. I mean, we were surrounded by musicians just trying different things, you know, just trying to get new sounds out of their instruments. That was that was kind of like how Mark Rebo put it, the guy I played with a lot, uh, great guitar player, is kind of known the best for maybe for playing the Tom Waits. Uh, he's like, said, like, the goal is kind of like to try to create your own ethnic music, mm. but mm. that's never been heard before, you know, right. that's kind of how he put it. So whether you're like attaching alligator clips to your guitar strings or weaving paper or wood through the strings or, you know, just things that create different sounds. John Zorn, the great sax player, was doing all kinds of crazy stuff to get weird sounds out of the sax nobody had heard before. I was able to talk to Bela Fleck, you know, a couple months ago on this mm-hmm. podcast and, you know, seeing what he's done with the banjo, you know, bringing it into this, you know, jazz world, but also as a sort of rock and roll 
instrument. Like he's playing Madison Square Garden opening for Dave Matthews playing the banjo. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think a lot of times when we see acoustic instruments, it's sort of relegated to this side stage world, you know? Yeah. And it's it's awesome to see I think some of the Americana artists in our little silo starting to finally trickle up into places like Red Rocks and, mm-hmm. and you know, headlining status. And yeah. you guys have played Red Rocks a few times. Yeah. Does it feel like you guys <laughs> are finally breaking out of a smaller folk relegated world? And there's nothing wrong with the folk music. No, world, no, no, no. I love that. But yeah. there's got to be a way for us to elevate this music yeah. into a pop consciousness. I think we keep our feet in both uh, in both worlds, in a way, the idea is to not be stuck in any one place because we love playing. Like we played for 500 people in Phoenix last night, and this place isn't that much bigger. I think it holds a thousand. The place we're playing tonight in LA, the Regent, um, and then we'll play the Fox in Oakland, which is giant. You know, it's pretty big for us, yeah. pretty ambitious. And then a couple of weeks ago, we played at Grimey's Record Store in uh, yeah. Nashville sort of a album release and that was just a tiny little building so the variety is awesome and and it's a different experience for fan and for artist to to play in a real intimate place and feel that kind of energy versus playing at red rocks which is a whole other thing yeah, you put on a different kind of show yeah you got to be louder <laughs> but you know just the way you sculpt a show uh it's not going to be an intimate little uh back and forth with the audience it's going to be a little more of a show yeah, but that's that's subtle. fun that's really fun and you know Bale is a great example of someone who's just has a very open mind embraces all kinds of music um, you know he went to Africa and did that amazing thing throw down your heart where he right. pl- played with all the you know so and then he has the fluck tones and stuff gets electric and it gets louder and, and uh, yeah you just learn how to adapt to all these different... I think that's the fun thing, is playing in all these different environments and, and adapting to them yeah. and using them for what they're good for instead yeah. of trying to have the space adapt to you. You adapt yeah. to the space. Yeah, I feel like it would be uh, it would be frustrating to have to play an arena every day right? and, and just have that... have no chance to become, get really subtle once in a while or just to play a different, you know, go all acoustic or something. Can be done. I mean, Ed Sheeran, three nights in a row sold out at <laughs> Wembley Stadium just him and an acoustic guitar so right. <laughs> you know if the young girls like you enough that's right <laughs> when you dance with your upright bass do you ever worry that you're gonna lose control and I have go flying <laughs> has any accidents lost happened control. on stage uh, yeah yeah a couple accidents <laughs> he hides them well I remember watching. I would try you guys to recover quickly so nobody notices. At Americana Fest, I was watching you guys at like the Cannery Ballroom, and you know, there's like beer spilled all over this. Okay. You know, like on one part of the stage, I saw someone spill the beer. And I was like, if he slips with that bass, which is probably what a ten grand upright bass, it's like, what, what's gonna, happen? <laughs> you know, yeah. like I, I, I. I worry for you sometimes how limber <laughs> Thanks, you are man. with that bass. Thank you. <laughs> if you guys hadn't reconnected about, what, 15 years ago or so, mm-hmm. you guys reconnected, because you had separate music careers, mm-hmm. do you think that you would be doing something completely different if you guys were separated? And still? I'd probably be working at Shoney's <laughs> or something. <laughs> I, I didn't have much of a career at the time. 
So I think Chris saved me from working, uh, you know, digging ditches and stuff. I don't know what I'd be doing. I mean, I know, you know, I always aspired to be a good player and then thought like, yeah, you, you, then you, you, you become a sideman or you uh, become a session player and you play on everyone's records, which, you know, part of that sounds cool. But in my heart, I never liked the idea of working uh, I always want to do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I like creating too much. I want to always be writing mm-hmm. and creating the thing that I want to create. You know, as much as I do love playing with other people and playing their music and right. doing my best to elevate other people's music, I, I love that. But I just, I just too much into creating that I, and, and collaborating. I love collaborating with people and creating together. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Oliver and I get to do this and mix what we do together so so much fun how does the seed of a wood brothers song start mm, there's lots of ways you just you just cast seeds into the wind in every direction <laughs> yeah on our new record we got uh, inspired a lot by just playing music like uh, without any purpose but to have fun so we would just go improvise and you know we have a we have our own studio that's new to us so we were just start experimenting in there, and we didn't have to watch the clock or anything, and, and so we just started doing these improvs and spontaneously composing things, even though we didn't know that's what we were doing. But we recorded them, and album quality recordings of improvisations that have a lot of cool moments that we were able to edit down, and so that's kind of the latest method. Yeah, I mean, I think the goal, like if you had to describe your ultimate goal in songwriting or mm-hmm. any kind of music writing. It's to, because at some point, any kind of writing, any kind of creative process you do, there has to be a moment where you're completely improvising. You have no idea what's going to happen. Those first words you write on a page, the first brush stroke, whatever it is, it's an improvisation. And then if you recognize something that can have order to it, then the other part of your brain kicks in and you're like, oh, what if this, what if that? I just think the goal is to to figure out a way, and it's not obvious how you do this, but that every step of the way is improvised. Mm. You know, which the best way we can figure out how to do that so far as you just work on something while it's exciting and the ideas are clicking, and as soon as like your left brain's kicking in and overthinking it and you feel a little burnt out, put it away. Is there a certain song where it was hot off the press and then you had to rush into another room to write lyrics, or how, how did that... How does that happen in that hot moment? Well, I, th- I think it's one of those things where uh, the, the point is that when we came up with our best stuff, we weren't thinking at all. We weren't thinking about a song. We weren't thinking, okay, this song, it wasn't even yeah. a song. It was just like we're, it was like kids we're playing. We're playing. It's yeah. playful. It's just playfulness and musical playfulness, but like just listening to each other and reacting and improvising musically but at no point are we thinking this is a song and are thinking about lyrics even at all. It's all about just the, the sounds and what's, in, what's in, like Chris said, what's fun and inspiring. It definitely reminds me of some of the swampy, uh, playful <coughs> records that come out of New Orleans, you know, yeah. Devil Brothers, or honestly, overall, the record reminded me of like an early Dr. John. Well, that's, you know? yeah, that's what I that's think. That's a good place, little, a gumbo you know? thing. That's what I think is cool, the fact that we, we started the process just by improvising together. It yeah. allowed uh, all the playfulness was, was rhythm and sound and nothing else. Mm-hmm. You know, and so mm-hmm. the result was these grooves where all these interesting counterpoint is happening 
that if we'd written the song first, we would have never thought to put that kind of music to those lyrics. Mm. So doing it yeah. that opposite way, yeah. uh, I think, kind of got us outside of some kind of box that we would have been stuck in otherwise. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to capture and harvest and use things that are basically completely subconsciously inspired or, or even mistakes. Mm. They're not things that we're purposefully thinking about. So it's either a mistake or it's a um, it's just a reaction. Well, it's like evolution with you know creatures forming from little yeah. quirks yeah. and blips in the, yeah. in the DNA. It's exactly. like that's how no, it's all accidents. We, we came to be. Really. It's all accidents. Exactly. And, and some sort of weird yeah. thing happened nope. with an ape. Somewhere. Nobody thought it through. We yeah. kept tried to keep the playfulness going all the way through the process. Like sometimes you know a piece of music will <coughs> inspire you to write a bunch of words. But there's no reason those words have to stay with that piece of music. You could just get rid of that right. music, and then now you have these disembodied words that you can put over anything you want. Mm. And that's where I think was one of the funnest parts of the process for me was doing that and then trying, let's put the words over this music, let's see mm. what that, or this jam, and, or this improvisation, mm -hmm. and does it click? Does it do something interesting? You open the, the record with Alabaster, and uh, you know there's this kind of sexy piano and bass organ pattern going on there's this repeated refrain uh, you know she's her own master mm -hmm. and won't be going back yeah. Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the presidential campaign today mm -hmm. I was out on the trail for her mm -hmm. for the last little bit yeah. uh, and went door to door trying to mm -hmm. convince oh, wow. people yeah, yeah. that we uh, really should have a smart lady president yeah. finally since it is the Wood Brothers as the band. If there was anybody, any female artist or singer who would join your band, hypothetically, who would you have? Dang. You could living have or dead? <laughs> sure, why not? Let's do living and dead. Okay. God, I can think of a bunch. Bonnie Raitt would be nice. Uh, Nina Simone. Sure she, I'm sure she would not be into it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. That's a that's always a hard question to answer because you know there's just the the musical side of it. I mean, yeah. there's there's I mean I can name so many uh, female artists I just respect and admire so much. Mm -hmm. Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yeah, uh, Sister Rosetta's a big one. We also love Amy Helm. She's a friend of ours. It's just great when we collaborate sometimes when we're on tour together. It's always mm -hmm. a blast. Mm, that might be more realistic. Uh, we have some friends here who are amazing. Sarah Dugas, Madison Cunningham, right? Madison yeah. Cunningham, yeah. I talked to her she's coming a tonight. Ago. Yeah, I think she's yeah. coming. Well, the you know you have an opening band that are some of my good friends. Oh Birds yeah, you friends with the Birds. Of oh, the Birds, they're yeah, amazing. They're awesome. I see you just absorb them into the band. You know, just there you have go. Them be the birds of I actually the wood. played yeah. they're working on a new record I did a day in the studio with them and yeah. I, yeah I felt that way I was like it just yeah. was so easy and fun to play with them yeah, they're great, great. Mm -hmm. but going back to that Alabaster track you know you guys talk about in that song you know a, a woman who's overcoming a history of addiction and uh, trying to find a new place to land trying to find a new yeah. life for herself yeah, she's becoming empowered uh, and you guys uh, have this really cool connection with this uh, Thistle Farm um, yeah, Thistle organization. Mm -hmm. in, uh, and it was right down the street from your studio, right? And you guys have certain proceeds from your shows that go 
yeah. to help them. Yeah, so a dollar from every ticket we sell uh, goes to Thistle Farms. And Thistle Farms is an organization that started in Nashville, mm-hmm. and it's basically a, uh, an organization that gets uh, helps um, females uh, basically get off the streets, victims who are victims of trafficking and addiction, prostitution, and uh, gives them housing and teaches them work skills and employs them mm. to to um, you know, keep the organization going. Mm. And I think it's now expanded to, to several other states. But uh, it's, a, it's a really great Yeah, great it's an amazing organization. organization. Yeah. It really works. I was saying before we started recording that it feels like accidentally I think a lot of songwriters are becoming protest singers and, and songwriters yeah. almost subconsciously it's because there's to. so much hard that I think to. we see around us as we travel the country yeah. that we have to uh, yeah. mm-hmm. tell people about yeah. and it's really I think up to us to you know use the platform we have how small or big it may be yeah. to make the world a better place mm-hmm. without necessarily being preachy or condescending yeah. and that's always yeah. the hard part yeah yeah, yeah. that is how do you guys feel like you can express your social conscious ideas without pushing people away I don't know it feels like the best work that we're able to do I feel like is be connectors and to connect people so that doesn't necessarily mean pushing an agenda as much as he- healing people. And, mm. and oftentimes what people need is to be connected with each other and uh, with themselves and with us. You know, that's what we, that's I think what we really get off on ultimately is when people are singing along and happy and smiling and, and telling us, you know, your music makes us happy. It gets us through tough times. Uh, that seems like the the simple and basic obvious thing that we can do. Mm. Um, I, I think imagery is important and, and mm-hmm. creating images that uh, that everybody can relate to. Yeah. Mm. It doesn't matter yeah, it has to be who inclusive. you are or what you believe in, but it's that, uh, you know, I think Alabaster has some of that, the dynamic uh, and the story of, of the woman in that song. Uh, we have a song on the record called Little Blue, which mm. is basically just plays with the simple image of earth like it's this little blue drop water float floating through space and every single person that you know and love every single thing living thing that you've ever heard of comes from that one tiny little place floating and so you can't argue with that and what what does that how does that make you feel <laughs> you know yeah behind the wheel of a yellow cat on the outskirts of birmingham he dreams of a traffic jam in Manhattan. Below the city in a subway car, she feels just like a shooting star. Never thought she could get so far from her old man. When you have a previous record, you know, one was one drop of truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nashville has been hit floods we just had this horrible tornado that yeah. could have wiped out most of the people we know mm-hmm. yeah i mean it went right over the basement east an hour after it was 200 but, feet from my house i mean it's incredible how many people 
we're about five minutes from where... Our that... recording engineer who yeah. recorded this record lost his house. Lost his mm. whole house, yeah. And you guys were on the road when it happened? No, I was no, right we, there. We oh, you heard were home. It. I heard yeah, it we whizzing home. by. Yeah. Did you guys go into a basement situation? Mm-hmm. or? Oh, yeah. Ran for the basement. It, it came on fast. Really Sound like fast. a freight train or something? Yeah. Man. Yeah, scary. it's scary. What's weird, you know, I, I feel like climate change and all that is yeah. is by far more intense but it's slow motion compared right. what's crazy about a tornado like that it happens so fast right. things moving the tornado itself is moving at 60 miles an hour so this intense experience happens in a very brief amount of time so for us even though it passed close by our house it it just we it was over it was surreal and and you know we were fine but then the the calls start coming in, and, and uh, an hour later, we're walking two blocks away down a completely destroyed mm. street where our recording engineer, Brooke Sutton, lives, and his house is gone, mm. and, and many other people's houses, and trees, telephone wires, it's crazy. So uh, that part was very surreal and intense, just how powerful and how quick it happened, as opposed to bigger events, slower events, like a flood or a hurricane, mm. mm-hmm. which are incredibly intense, but just different (laughs) and the the tornado is so random and unpredictable and so surgical the way it just takes out a few houses and then you know a block away people are fine yeah i mean if it had happened an hour or so before yeah the basement east would have been full of people yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was like a bernie sanders concert yeah a fundraiser and that that pizza spot right across the street. Like, I was just there, like, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I think a yeah. bartender uh-huh. died at the Basement East, right? Who was cleaning up. Oh, we're still there. Yeah. Have you guys experienced any weather that has hit you head-on while on a tour? Definitely uh, major blizzards. We've recently yeah. had our bus get stuck a couple times. We, we had our bus in December. We were trying to go over the summit in uh, over the pass in... Colorado, and the bus got stuck, and we had to tow. You know, we have a bus and a trailer, right. and then there was a tow truck pulling our bus and trailer up the mountain. Oh my god! Uh, so we've definitely had that kind of weather. Definitely passed. I remember tornadoes back in you know several years ago, like where we drove through Alabama, and you could oh drive god. through aftermath of a tornado yeah. to see everything. And that it's was just, like an F5. I mean, that thing was like a mile. Cross. Holy crap, it's it's frightening. But. If you guys could start your own festival anywhere in the world, and I love torturing people with this question, <laughs> you could do it in any place you've ever played. Actually, any place you've ever been. Money is no object. And you have to book five artists to start. Dead or alive, money is no object. Where would it be and who would you book? Tough one, Zach. Blowing <laughs> our minds here. Uh, we need some coffee. This hurts. <laughs> this is like a test. So, first of all, the place. What would be I the know, place? I know, the place? I don't know. I've been to too many remote festivals where logistically it's a pain in the ass. Right. So, like, even though there's beautiful places I could think of. It has to be a fantasy. Yeah, yeah it has to be. Remember okay. that place, the Lime Kiln Theater? Amphitheater? It was mm-hmm. an outdoor thing in Virginia. And it's very small. Yeah. But, uh, it's a really neat place, but it would not logistically be easy to do. 
But either would be would it be logistically possible to get dead people to come? So if we're if <laughs> yeah. we're just this if is it's a wide open, scenario. yeah, <laughs> dream scenario. All right. Well, there's like this one uh, volcanic crater on the Big Island of Hawaii. There which you I think go. Would be that's, amazing. That's and amazing. we get like Charles Mingus and Jimi Hendrix. Let's see here, Ray Charles, Snooks Eaglin, Snooks Eaglin, Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yeah, we're going to exceed the five. got a big budget here. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I got, I got no carried object. away. <laughs> yeah, money's no object. Uh, Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee. Oh, that would sure. be fine. Sure, why not? Yeah, that'd be fine. Sly Stone. James Brown. Yeah. Uh, John Prine, Bob Dylan. Oh, I get, we're, we're, time's up. <laughs> you see those? Money's out. Yeah. Let's go one more dream scenario. There's a time machine in this cafe the regent you can go to one show any point in history to see someone live that you couldn't normally see i would see queen i think yeah i would like to see them and like yeah and at their at their i think i think it would be sly stone for me like in the heyday with that band i just heard stories of people who who were there just blew their mind i'd be tempted to go way back like really far back Bach uh, yeah. well yeah uh, and part of the reason this is maybe a silly uh, has nothing to do with music but I want to see like what let's see maybe somewhere in America in the 1800s I just want to see I want to see like what America looked like with old growth forests and before the, all the chestnut trees died and <laughs> like I want to see a concert that's around then so I can just yeah. explore the surroundings before <laughs> yeah. we messed everything up beyond <laughs> recognition get some sightseeing too. yeah kind of I think I would I would say Howlin' Wolf like if I could see Howlin' Wolf when he just first got popular to where he was a star and yeah. just to sit in the front row of a theater and watch this huge that guy, guy that nobody's mesmerizing like would just be scary and amazing I mean there's a lot of people touring right now that are you know s- legacy acts <coughs> right sure. you know sort of playing in this nostalgia circuit in a sure. way um, and you guys you know came together later in life you know you guys had put in your 20,000 hours probably in right. other bands um, do you feel like, you know, being able to get fans and create your music now as more mature musicians is a blessing? Mm-hmm. Even maybe you don't have the same energy you had when you were 20? I totally think it's a blessing. It's a blessing. I mean, I always feel sorry. I mean, I think about somebody like Billie Eilish, who is mm-hmm. amazing, and she's so young, and she's already at the top. Mm. And um, we've we've are enjoying what we like to call our slow rise to the middle like really (laughs) slow rise to the middle and uh so you know it'd be nice to if you're gonna peak like peak late yeah (laughs) you know when you can maybe enjoy it yeah no it's 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 really cool to be in a band in your 50s that's growing the audience is growing Yeah. yeah and we have some young fans and old fans alike you know kids kids bring their parents and parents bring their kids and i like that what does your teenager think of your live show? Uh, he, he tells me he thinks it's awesome. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So does mine. Yeah, but it's not, uh, you know, I don't oh, know we how just cool played the Ryman, and, and uh, yeah, my daughter was really excited and dancing yeah. in the aisles. And so. Yeah. They're like, Dad, stop dancing around like that. And she was like that at first, now yeah. she's into it. Because she, she's an amazing dancer herself, like in pursuing a professional ballet career. 
So it was embarrassing for a while, but now, <laughs> now she supports it. Were you guys nice to each other as little kids, or was there a rivalry there? There's a few noogies and uh, wedgies. wedgies and whatnot. Yeah, but I think I think we were regular brothers. Yeah. We had little spats, but we hung out. We used to hang out too. And you were inspired by the music he was listening to. Or yeah. Did you try to set yourself apart. Uh, well, eventually, I, I kind of took my own turn and you know went down some other rabbit holes. But um, but no, early on, I think we were both digging. Yeah, we started out listening to all the same stuff. Yeah. I think the the amazing thing about your newest record for me is it feels so lived in and so mm. warm. Yeah. Like I, you know, can kind of get to know you guys, and I think that that improvisational nature of it feels yeah. like you're sitting in the studio with you guys, just jamming. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and I think it's really hard to create that in a recording session mm. environment because yeah. you're trying to, you know, you're. Yeah. Your perfectionist brain is always on like, oh, yeah. this is not yeah. perfect. You know? Right. Yeah. How do you get that perfectionism out of your brain when you're creating new music? I think it's just it's just a pattern of it's the process, the work process. Yeah. You, you yeah. improvise, and then you don't judge it right away. Right. You know, I, I think it's good to have some space between the creative moment and then the the editor brain. There needs to be time <laughs> so that you can see something that you might, uh, after have just playing, playing mm. it, you might see as a mistake. If you give it some time, that might be your favorite thing mm. about the yeah. piece of music. Yeah. So uh, definitely, yeah, you need a you, you need a, enough time to forget what you were thinking while you were playing. That's the only way to judge yeah. something objectively. What is your worst habit you think as a musician right now? Mm, tuning. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Forgetting to tune? No, just actually just tuning too often. Tuning too often. <laughs> too often. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Nervous habit. Yeah. Is this buddy guy does that? No. Yeah. It's like having a nervous tick. Yeah. <laughs> well, that could be the perfectionist brain. Yeah. If you could introduce uh, one track at the end of this episode that maybe people are not hearing as much from the new record. Is it always makes me sad when people don't listen to the end of, a, of an album yeah. mm -hmm. you know you can see on your Spotify yeah. list you're like the first four have good numbers and yeah. then it starts it's to just trickle out to be like, I know and you always think oh wouldn't it be cool to put this really awesome beautiful song yeah. that we really love at the end and just to finish it off and then yeah. nobody's ever heard of this song <laughs> what is the last track in the, the very last one's Satisfied oh yeah yeah uh, the one before that is A Dream's A Dream mm-hmm and then one before that's Little Blue. Little Blue. Like so all three of those. All three of those. Are some of our favorite ones. Favorite. Yeah. And we had so much fun making those. Who decides the order? We we collaboratively yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Although we did, you know, we can't help but to put a lot of thought into transitions. Right, right, right. And yeah. ooh, after this song, right. you're yeah. going to love hearing this song. So, yeah. you know, you do create a journey. But, but I think after you've experienced that, it's nice to shuffle it up too. Yeah. And it sucks because you can't help but think well people are only going to get listen for two songs right. so we need to hold their attention what are the best two songs that will do that <laughs> you know is there a record that you've heard recently that really you wanted to tell people about uh, I've taught a lot of people that that Brittany Howard record I think it's mm. yeah, that's great Jamie, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, great, I think record, but everybody knows that one. Uh, they should listen to J.B. Lenore, Passionate Lenore. Blues. Yeah. Mm. Passionate Blues that's is a the favorite. name of that album. Huge mm. influence on us, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, last creative exercise, and I'll let you load in here. Without thinking, I need you guys to find one part in your life from the following words, I'm going to say. Spur of the moment, creativity. As a reaction. As a reaction, reaction. To, to the following words. Cornfield. Ritz. Cornfield? Uh, we were on tour, just early days, Wood Brothers, and uh, <clears throat> in the Midwest, driving through endless cornfields, and I was reading that Michael Pollan book, Omnivore's Dilemma, mm-hmm. in which there's a very extensive, mm-hmm. amazing chapter all about the, the, the corn industry and how the Midwest became just corn as far as the eye can see. Mm. And uh, it was powerful, something about that. Are you, are you vegetarian? I'm a vegan mm. for the most part, yeah. Is it hard on long runs to keep healthy? Uh, you know, I, I, so I've only tried to be this way yeah. in the past, I'd say it's been a little over a year where mm. I'm really committed to it. And uh, it's actually totally fine. Awesome. I mean, and, and I think I wouldn't want to do it. Like, I, <laughs> you read about Paul McCartney yeah. becoming a vegetarian back in the, you know, well, I don't know when he started exactly, but I just stories of him in the early 70s and him and Linda, like, trying to find vegetables in the middle of nowhere and off the highway. And it's like, <laughs> are you kidding me? I mean, that, it was impossible. So n- these days, it's uh, early 90s. much easier. Cool. Early 90s, my parents... We all went vegetarian. Yeah. When my sister was born. Yeah. And it was not fun. Yeah. I think now I think it would be great. I had no to problem. I walked right down the street here. I had this amazing vegetable bean soup. But it was not high quality vittles back then. Yeah. It was yeah. like soy everything. Yeah. 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 I think there's a there's a tendency for everything to uh, if uh, if you go to a vegetarian or vegan restaurant there's a lot of mock this and that. Yeah. You know they're trying to do mm-hmm. mock meat things. Yeah. Which you know. You get sick of that because it's just a processed piece of whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's nice to have real food. I mean, I'm a big fan of, you know, legumes and beans and, and, you know, cooked greens and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. and they're easier to find these days. I got us off track. Okay, next word. Matchbox. Matchbox. Oh, I got a good one for that. I do too. I wonder if it's the same one. Might be the same. (laughs) So we had a random... Our publicist sent us a random tweet. (laughs) He sent us a random tweet the other day that Rob Thomas... uh, Matchbox 20. Matchbox 20. uh, Had one of our songs, one of the last three songs on the record, uh, as his song of the day. Yeah, Dream's a Dream. Yeah, so that was pretty random. I think he did one of our songs like a couple years ago. He's, did he's, he? He's a pretty, like, He must really yeah, be He's into, checking things yeah, out. Yeah, that's cool. looks, listening, looking. Yeah. That's cool. What about you? Matchbox. For me? Yeah. Oliver and I, when we were kids, we used to make uh, these yeah. homemade firecrackers by... We'd go, get all the matchboxes we could find, and then we'd cut just the very the flammable heads right. uh, off the top tips and like concentrate them and wrap them tightly in these pieces of paper and yeah. 
and just like our parents would always try to walk in the room and it's like, what are you guys doing? And, yeah. and our reaction was just, it's a secret project. It was like, that was like, <laughs> making a bomb. We felt like we were doing something important. Like, secret project. Yeah. And it took a lot of work. It took a while. Like, yeah, it took, you, you know, an a hour lot of, of just, heads. yeah, you got to like really cut all these little match heads and then you wrap them in paper nice and tight and make like a little wick on it. And then you light it up and it flares up for a second. Not much happens, yeah, it was you know. Not very impressive, but yeah, it was some suburban boredom project. I definitely, for some reason, took all the matches and put them into a glass bottle, sort mm-hmm. of, you know, oh. which became like like a, a rocket. It was probably pretty dangerous. I don't yeah. know why did I did that. Did the glass yeah. blow up? I never lit it. My parents found it and were like, "What is the matter with you?" Whoa! Oh Shrapnel. man! Yeah, I know. I think about that sometimes. I'm like. If my kids were doing that <laughs> secret project, I'll show you a secret project. <laughs> yeah. All right, last one. Soulful. I don't know. Immediately, Ray Charles' head came into my head. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That just bam. Say Ray Charles. But, um, What's your favorite Ray song? Favorite uh, Ray song. Mine is uh, "What Would I Do Without You." Yeah. See me through. Incredible. Good one. But he does like the singular best vocal. I don't even know what you call that thing that he does. The, the uh, like vocal just break, that yodel, the yodel. Yeah, thing. just what his voice cracks. Do? It's the best one. He also does unrecorded music. Great cover of uh, "Ring of Fire" by Johnny oh Cash. Oh my god, yeah. incredible! Especially yeah. the one on the show on Johnny Cash's show at the Ryman. Mm. You can look that up on YouTube. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Now, that's Americana. That guy that plays is Americana. country, gospel, blues, jazz. He really plays all and those And he things. was on the show because he just came out with a mute, with an album called Love Country Style. Right. And uh, if you can, find it on YouTube. That because But it's like you got to find the one where Johnny Cash interviews him first, and then he plays the song Ring of Fire, and it's, oh, it's good stuff. I feel it. And it burns, burns, burns The ring of fire Your ring of fire All right, so intro uh, the song Satisfied for everyone to take us out. Satisfied. Well, it happens that it was uh, lyrically, it was some lyrics that needed a home, mm. that needed music, and we had a leftover track, uh, some basic tracks left over from two records ago. Two records ago, from our Paradise record. We'd uh, written a song that just never quite, never quite got felt there. right, except for the one hook line in the chorus mm, otherwise yeah. all the lyrics we just threw out but the track and the way we played we loved that we mm. always wanted to use it for something and then it. yeah Oliver came up some lyrics over another piece of music we got rid of that we kept trying to find the right home and it landed on that track and uh, and even worked with the one phrase that we kept from the old song and yeah yeah and when when we were trying to see if it works we just sang sort of a scratch vocal over it on a you know, 58, which is a cheap, you know, not normally what you cut a vocal with in the studio. Right. And uh, and for the most part, just used that. It ended up being good. So. All right. Yeah. I'm satisfied with that answer. 
All right. Okay. That's all we got. Have an amazing show tonight. Thank you. Thanks so much, Zach. And uh, congrats on the new record. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thank you. It. Thanks for having us. Since the Wood Brothers could not play a live song for us, their instruments were still under their tour bus. Remember when we had tour buses and live shows? That was a fun thing in the time before. Anyway, here's their song off their last record, Kingdom in My Mind. It's called Satisfied.
There you have it, Chris and Oliver Wood of the Wood Brothers. You can go to thewoodbrothers.com for their music and their tour dates. Of course, it's not quite clear when all tour dates will be confirmed, but as of now, the end of May is still on. They're playing the Summer Camp Music Fest in Illinois, May 24th, and they're playing uh, the Gears and Guitars Festival in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Also some really cool stuff from them in June, the Kate Wolf Music Festival, uh, the Amphitheater at White River State Park that begins a tour with Green Sky Bluegrass. They're also playing in Cleveland and in New Jersey, in Philly, in Cincinnati, in Virginia. Lots of cool stuff coming from the Wood Brothers. And if you haven't listened to their new record, Kingdom in My Mind, it is fantastic. As of now, it is a bit of a mystery when my gang Dust Bowl Revival will be back in action. We had to cancel our April and some of our May dates. Uh, the end of May, Meadowgrass Festival, May 23rd in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's still on as of now, fingers crossed, and some really cool stuff coming in June, like the Four Peaks Music Fest in Bend, Oregon, and we're coming back to Red Wing Roots in Virginia. That's hosted by friends of the podcast The Steel Wheels, a lot of cool stuff ahead in the summer. Hope it all happens. DustBowlRevival.com And once again, support the music that you love by sending some money, some donations to the COVID-19 fund of Music Cares. That's MusicCares.org. It's run through the Grammys, and they are actually helping me pay my rent this month. It is no joke. Give to them. They're great. And as always, if you love a band, if you love an artist, just tell people about them. That's it. That powerful thing is how it all happens. Buy a vinyl, buy a t-shirt, support the music you love before it's too late. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubitin. See you on the trail.